frankly, my dear, I don't give a damn. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. As far back as I can remember, I always wanted to be a gangster. Don't you understand, George? It's because you were not born. Film church. Well, a, a boy's best friend is his mother. In the beginning, aliens were spotted near places with large amounts of heroin. Later, aliens appeared in specific subcultures, punk circles, still around heroin. And in this punk circles, many more strange deaths have occurred. Hello, and welcome to Film Church Radio, the podcast that treats cinema as a religion. It's Sunday. I'm Brandon. And I'm Lewis. And we're here to talk about movies. Each week, Lewis and I alternate picking a film for both of us to watch and discuss. This week, I decided to go with a film recommended by a new listener, Elizabeth. Thank you, Elizabeth. Uh, She also recommended two other films, but Lewis had already seen them. Uh, They were Videodrome and What Happened to Baby Jane. Um, the third recommendation was a film that neither Lewis and I had seen or heard of. (laughs) And that film is Liquid Sky from 1982, directed by Slava Zuckerman, starring Anne Carlyle and Paula E. Shepard. Um, this film kind of like, I haven't seen anything quite like it. I haven't seen yeah. it like the closest thing that I can maybe um really like it, it's not even that close but it is kind of the same feel in some ways is our first episode ever Pink Flamingos from 1972 uh which Lewis coined as a trashster piece. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that might be what I can call uh, this film, Liquid Sky. Um, but we're going to get into that here in a little while. Uh, if you're new to the show, thank you for being here. And if you're not new to the show, thank you for being here. <laughs> and uh, we do ask that... Uh, if you like the show, please give us a rating and review on wherever you listen to this podcast and share it with your friends and uh, let them know that we exist and bring them into the church. We'd love to expand this congregation. You can also find us on our YouTube channel where you can comment on our episodes and uh, jump in the discussion there and we'll um, we'll, t- we'll discuss some film and, and get deeper into this film church. I will say before we get into the episode, uh, I might do this disclaimer again, um, that uh, as with our Pink Flamingos episode, this film is, uh, it's a bit wild. (laughs) Yeah, it's a bit extreme. (laughs) So um, just, you know, be ready for that. I, I believe the film is, I don't know if it's X rated. It seems like it might be. I mean, I guess IMDb says it's rated R, so, but uh, the subject matter is intense, I guess. Yeah. Not yeah. quite as intense as Pink Flamingos, but. Yeah, wouldn't let my kids watch it. <laughs> yeah. You've been warned. Um, <laughs> now it's time to discuss the trailer. Well, 
<laughs> I keep feeling like I feel like I get worse and worse at like describing this section. <laughs> We're just gonna talk about movies we've watched other than the main feature. So we call them trailers. But yeah. uh <laughs> Lewis, what have you been up to? What have you been watching? I've been watching a plethora of Christmas movies. Um and the first one by accident. I mean I've I've had the book Bell Book and Candle from nineteen fifty eight on my to watch list for a while. Um, released the same year as Vertigo, and it reteams the super team of Jimmy Stewart and Kim Novak. Um, oh, nice! But in like a weird witch story, where Kim Novak is like a modern day witch, and she kind of hexes uh, Jimmy Stewart, and they, you know, fall in love. It's the is it as good as Haxon? It's no, unfortunately, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the the witch mythology isn't as deep and. <laughs> you know textured is that yeah um she has a cat that's pretty much it um and i was like i was really interested to watch it it's been, like i said it's been on watch list for a while and it just popped up on criterion channel um so i was like okay i'll watch it um and it's set around christmas so it's pretty much oh. like it's snowing and it's like christmas eve like the first you know half of the film um which was like oh this is nice like, i love when i just stumble across a christmas film that or like a holiday film that I didn't know was a holiday film. Yeah. You know, because normally I'd watch it in like July and be like, oh, I wish it was Christmas. Yeah. You know, <laughs> but it was that perfect, like, oh, it's Christmassy. Yeah. Um, and then Jack Lemmon's in it, which I didn't know. Oh. And Elsa Lanchester, who I really like, who is the Bride of Frankenstein as well. She kind of pops up um, for quite a lot of it. And I was like, this is great. This is such a like perfect ensemble cast. Um, and it's fine. It's yeah. not like incredible i feel like around this time we probably had like i married a witch and the tv show that i can't remember for the life of me um like i dream a genie and bewitched that's what i'm thinking of you know this these kind of you know hey i married a modern day witch things seem to be taken off and it yeah it's very lackluster um it was fun, but I mean, Kim Novak looks absolutely ravishing though, like throughout the whole film. She looks yeah. incredible. Um, and I did read after that, like Cary Grant was after the lead role, the Jimmy Stewart part. And you know, I love Jimmy Stewart, but I do think that maybe his comedic abilities would have been a little bit better suited mm-hmm. for this film. Yeah. Um, Jimmy Stewart just seems a bit like tight. You know, he mm. never seems to kind of relax into it. Yeah. And it's not necessarily the character. I think that's just him as a person. Yeah. And then we were looking for another Christmas film to watch. Um, so we picked Carol, a bit of a left field pick. Um, a Christmas movie that I hadn't seen since it was re- released. And I had a very vivid memory of a certain scene. Um, and when we watched it, it didn't happen. <laughs> So huh. I was positive that like a certain thing happened in this film and we were getting to the point. I was like, here it comes. And then it didn't happen. And I was like, oh, okay. I was sure that happened, but it didn't. Um, so I was left a bit perplexed. And I think that it fell a bit flat because of that. I think my expectations for the scene that I thought was there that never appeared yeah. kind of set me up for a different kind of film, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um so when it didn't happen, I was like, oh, okay. Um, it is still beautiful to look at. It's so well shot and the colors are really nice and the two great lead performances from Kate Blanchett and Rooney Mara. Um, and I really like the like 50s New York setting as well. Um, yeah. 
but it just doesn't really build to anything. Mm-hmm. You know, it feels very, it's, it's, it's a very, you know, it's an atmospheric piece. It's just emotional, I guess. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't necessarily need things to build to a certain like crescendo, you know, but I think that I was expecting it. My memories had that it did. And then when it didn't, I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, that's interesting. I don't really remember this movie. I mean, I might have heard yeah. about it because it got nominated for a bunch of Oscars, but I've, I've mm. never seen it and I don't remember hearing about it. Yeah. So. I mean, it's. I, I think it's really good and I know it's got a lot of people that love it, um, but I downgraded it from like a 4 to a 3.5 mm. on this watch. I yeah. rated it 4 when I first saw it and this was down a little bit. Yeah. Um, but it's still a, you know, it's a fun watch. Um, and then carrying on the Christmas spirit because we're nearly there um, yeah. we watched The Muppet Christmas Carol which is a is a, um, a favorite go back to it it's one of those that we go back to every few years I don't think it's quite hit our like yearly rewatch yet yeah um, and I, I'm I'm reading um, A Christmas Carol as well at, at the moment um, and it's incredible how true to the source material they stay yeah with it being The Muppets you know, I'm reading. I'm reading it, and all I can imagine is like Fozzie Bear and <laughs> Kermit the Frog, and like you know all these characters, which is um, which is very funny, and it kind of elevates the book a little bit. Not that it's terrible; it's really, really good. But yeah, you know, it, it is like wow, they did a really good job at adapting this. You know, yeah. Um, <clears throat> how was it for your kid? She she loved it. I mean, she really liked because there's a good mix of like songs and and like i don't know like characters are you know there's jokes in there and people falling down chimneys and stuff that she yeah. that she liked like a lot of slapstick yeah. um and there's also you know the the slightly scary bits as well um but yeah she did enjoy it um a film that she was absolutely like enthralled with though was Arthur christmas from 2011 okay um i'd heard good things when it came out and we were just looking for something to watch while we like finished up dinner, you know, just have it in the background. So I'll just put it on. And the whole, like me, Chelsea and Amelia all kind of got, you know, transfixed by it. Mm. Um, it just, an, a different, bit of a different story is, you know, funny and um, the animation's really good and the voice acting's really good. It's got like Bill Nye, James McAvoy, um, Hugh Laurie, I think as well. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, I think it's an underrated Christmas animated film. Yeah, you know? sounds like it. Um, and it's on HBO Max and it's, you know, streaming for free, but it's just a really fun holiday movie. Yeah, that's great. Um, and then, then the last thing I want to talk about, because I know that you've seen it as well, so yes. we can kind of blend together and then seamlessly transition to the films that you've watched, um, <laughs> is um, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio from yeah. this year mm-hmm. that recently dropped on Netflix. Um, a film that I have been waiting with bated breath for for months to watch this. Um, I'd heard really good things from film festivals about it um, and with the less than passable Disney live action um, Pinocchio that came out earlier this year. Did, I just, you, did you watch that? Um, I haven't. Okay. I, you know, I read reviews and I, I'm, I really like Robert Zemeckis and I really like Tom Hanks and I don't want to like sully their 
image in my head mm-hmm. yeah by watching it and uh, you know i mean but I mean, it's it, it's it's basically the disney version uh i would assume i mean neither one of us have seen it but i would assume yeah. it's just a live action remake of the yeah. Disney animated version, which is what they've been doing with all the animated yeah. movies like in the last yeah. like five years. And this is what like Pinocchio is not a story that I even like. Yeah. Necessarily. I don't you know, that's kind of why I didn't watch it. I mean, the Aladdin live action remake, we went to see that because I like Aladdin, you know. Yeah. So and it had at the time names that you could kind of bank on. Um but with Pinocchio, I'm just like, I don't it it it's weird to me. You know, yeah. I don't really like it, which is when Del Toro was like, hey, I'm going to do Pinocchio. I was like, okay, this is a filmmaker that gets how weird this is, I'm sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And can like run with it. Yeah. Um, I, God, I love this film. <laughs> I love it so much. I mean, the animation is just eye-poppingly beautiful. Yeah. Um, the stop motion is a joy. You know, I, it's I, it's just all around. It's it's perfection. Yeah. Um. And I think the decision to move it to that specific time period, like, just works so well, and it adds an extra level to an already established story. Like, you go in thinking you know the story, and somehow they've added more layers to it. Yeah, you know, there's it. It's like a whole other world. It's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, it's man, I was transfixed. I just could not take my eyes from it and the ending is just beautiful as well yeah like the last five minutes of this movie didn't really need to be included i don't think but the fact that they did just like it moved me to tears i thought it was just incredible yeah um yeah i mean i thought they did an amazing job retelling a story that i've heard so many times and seen so many times i mean there was a live action movie with wasn't it jonathan taylor thomas I'm not sure. I, yeah, I, I think haven't there was really that seen... I, I remember seeing as a kid, and of course, grew up watching the Disney cartoon. And there's just been so many versions. Um, yeah. And and again, this year there's you know two more uh, mm-hmm. from two big studios. Um, but yeah, it it definitely retold the story in the most interesting way I've ever seen. You know? Yeah. Uh, and, and yeah, made it much more emotionally engaging and, um, you know, in Del Toro's way was able to, to take it and, and highlight how weird it is without Mm. making it too weird. I get like so weird that you can't watch, like you want to watch it because it's weird. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Um, like the weirdness adds to it instead of just making you feel weird or something, you know, Yeah. or out of place. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, it looks amazing and yeah, yeah, it was great. Yeah. Um, potential, I think to be film of the year for me. Wow. That's super high praise. Yeah. I mean, like just absolutely, like I said, transfixed. Yeah. It was beautiful. Did it move you? quite a lot yeah i mean anything around like i don't know loss and kind of dealing with that is is surefire to kind of set me down the path and it wasn't like i said it wasn't until the final five minutes that you know the the last few scenes like really affected me Mm. you know um 
And I think that it just builds on everything that it's already already said. Yeah. You know, it's it's all about loss and death and life and the world and otherness and you know how to fit in and not losing sight of who you are and oh my god yeah just all these like heavy topics just rolled into uh unassuming you know quote-unquote family film yeah i mean yeah for i mean it's super adult i think yeah. for uh for a family film and i don't mean adult as in like you know, kids are going to be scared by it or confused or mm. not know what's going on. I mean, it's like, it's a very uh, deeply, it's dealing with heavy emotional yeah. human yeah. stuff, you know? And it doesn't shy away from it. It's not like, you know, I always think of Frozen, how when the parents die, you just see kind of like the ship not come back up from the waves. Yeah. You know, and it's just kind of like, okay, we're not going to really mention it, but they're dead. Yeah. Um, whereas here it's like, you know, the first, I think the first scene is Geppetto light, like laying flowers at his dead son's grave. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, it's and very it shows, and it shows grieving as like, as a real thing. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, it does. Yeah. It's not just like, oh, he's sad sometimes. No, it's like, he's, he's, you really see him grieving. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. Yeah. It's great. Yeah. What else have you been watching, Brian? Um, several things. Um, I watched uh, Almost Famous from 2000. Mm -hmm. Have you seen that? I haven't. I think you're going to, I think you would really, really like this movie. It's, it's one oh, that sure. my brother-in-law has been suggesting, I think since we watched High Fidelity and, mm. uh, Oh man, it was so I gave it five out of five. It was so good. Be sure to watch like the extended director's cut. Um, okay. Uh, but it it's really great. Um it takes place I I believe it's the seventies, might be the sixties. Um, just rock culture. And yeah, yeah I don't want to give too much away since you haven't seen it. But okay. really good. Um <clears throat> I watched Red Eleven from 2019, directed by Robert Rodriguez, written by him, and I think Racer Max is, is one of his sons. Um, mm. And then uh, another one of his sons is in it. Uh, but this was a film that he decided to make um, basically as, I guess, as like a challenge to himself to like make another movie for $7,000. Yeah. Uh, which is what he made his first film for that um, went to Sundance and got bought by Columbia Pictures and, you know, kind of put him on the map. And um, yeah. so he kind of went back to his roots to to make this film. Um, and then along with it, there's a whole documentary series that just kind of shows the whole process. I've only watched like two or three episodes of that, uh, which is really good. Um but the film itself, I wasn't too enthused by. <laughs> yeah. I think um, sometimes that happens, you know, there's films that you read about that sound more interesting. And when you actually watch it, you're like, oh, okay. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think there's, 
you know, there's people out there that do like this movie and, and people that have been getting inspired by uh, the documentary series that kind of goes along with it, which is great because, yeah. like, that's kind of, I mean, his first film, El Mariachi, and his book, uh, Rebel Without a Crew, inspired me a lot, you know, when I first saw them. Yeah. So I think maybe it's just for a maybe like a younger audience and stuff. But, um, you know, it, it, it I don't want to like knock the film or anything. It just it, it ends up being disappointing. I think sometimes when like you're like one of your favorite directors, like you watch a film and it's just like, yeah, not as good as you want it to be. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. But I've got his other work I can keep going back to. Um, and there's still a lot of his newer films I haven't seen. Like he did uh, Alita Battle Angel. I never saw that. Mm-hmm. It came out mm-hmm. like three or four years ago. Um, so, you know, excited to, to kind of catch back up on his stuff um, and finish yeah. the docuseries. Uh, but then I also watched um, Stutz from 2000. Well, I don't I almost said 2002 from this year, from 2022. Uh, It's a documentary that uh, Jonah Hill did about his um, therapist. Yeah. On uh, it's on Netflix. Uh, It's really, really good. It, it, it's got a lot of surprising things in it. It's not as like cut and dry as you would expect. Yeah. Um, Cause like from the trailer, you kind of expect it to just be like, Hey, here's how you practice good mental health, you know, yeah. but it, it goes a lot deeper than that and like turns some corners that you don't expect. And Jonah Hill is, I think one of the most exciting filmmakers right now. Yeah. Like I, I think he's got some incredible work ahead of him mm-hmm. as a filmmaker. Yeah. Um, because his movie mid '90s was really, really good. I think it's on Amazon Prime, and he's he's worked with some of the greatest directors, yeah, alive. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know the his process of creating art, I think, is is going to lend to some really good cinema down the yeah. line. You know, yeah. Um, and you can you can kind of see that in this documentary, and especially because he's like, you're seeing his process kind of while you're watching the documentary, if that makes sense. Because he's also yeah. a subject of the of the documentary. Yeah. Um, anyway, highly recommend it. Um, Sweet. When you get a chance, I rewatched Molly's Game from 2017. Um, I really like the movie a lot. Uh, I gave yeah. it a a four out of five. I first saw it when I was um, working at Studio Movie Grill, and it, I was working there when it came out. Um, and it, you haven't seen it, right? I haven't seen Molly's Game. No. Yeah. It, is it by the? Is it the writer of it, West Wing? Yes, it's Aaron Sorkin. Okay. So yeah, he, that's it. Yeah. It's he's he's gotten into more uh, writing and directing. In the last mm. few years, he's he, you know he kind of made his name from writing, and now he's he's doing a lot of writing and directing. But I I do kind of remember you're not you're not you don't really like Aaron Sorkin, do you? I and not, I mean like I don't mean you dislike him. I just mean like no. you you his movies aren't. Let me do, let me double check the because he or the did films. um 
He did the Steve Jobs movie. Oh, okay. Um, um, yeah, he, he. I mean, he wrote some. I mean, I really like Moneyball. Yeah. Um, and I really like Social Network. Obviously, I think they are really good. I think where the film that I really don't like is um, being the Ricardos. Oh yeah, that's right. Yeah, he did do that. I think yeah. that's that's the, and he, yeah, he did direct that. So that is the film that I don't really like at all. Yeah. Well, um, I would suggest that you give this movie a chance. I think it's on yeah. Netflix. Um, cause I would be really curious to see what you think about this movie. Um, Jessica Chastain is is great in it. Mm. Idris Elba mm-hmm. is also in it, and uh, uh, Michael Sarah is also in it. And oh wow! Okay, it, and it's based on a true story. Like it, it's oh, about sweet. uh, it's about this woman who put together these huge underground poker games for celebrities. Cool. And she never, she only name well, she doesn't like name name. Like it's based on a book too, I think. Uh, yeah. So she doesn't name names, but there's like, <laughs> after you watch the movie, you can like go online and try to figure out what who people speculate who is who. Who is who yeah. And it's kind of, it's something I would love to talk to you about. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. I recommend it when you get cool. a chance as well. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I just realized I put my next movie, I put the wrong year in here. <laughs> Did not come out in 2027. Uh, the next time traveler. The next film that I watched was At the Drive-In, um, also on Amazon Prime uh, from mm-hmm. 2017. And it is about uh, this movie theater called The Mahoning Drive-In, which I've been following mm-hmm. on Instagram. And then saw there's a documentary that about it and, and decided to watch it. Uh, if you love movie theaters and drive-ins and stuff, it's a it's a really good watch and really cool. It's cool. Uh, this place is I think in Pennsylvania and it's the last drive-in to still have to still be sh- showing 35 millimeter prints. Nice. Yeah. Um, and they've been open since like the 50s and never closed. Wow. So okay. um, it's a really cool cool thing to see. Um, and, uh, yeah. And then I watched two more films from this year. I watched Amsterdam and I just literally got back from seeing Violent Night. Mm-hmm. Um, Amsterdam, I didn't rate it. I don't know if I'll rewatch it. Um, it was okay, but I also yeah. fell asleep while I was watching it. So mm-hmm. I can't be like, you know, can't judge it Yeah, exactly. But, um, yeah, it, I mean, it, it's got a lot of actors and actresses yeah. in it. Yeah. Um, like every five seconds, it seems like there's a cameo, and you're like, oh, oh, mm. you know. Um, it just didn't. I don't know. I I just quickly started getting lost and yeah. like trying to figure out what the film was about, and yeah. Um, I don't know. Uh, I already forgot. Yeah, David. Yeah, David O. Russell, who directed it, is is yeah. weird for me because I feel like the fighter was was really really good. Yeah, I did. Um, I did like, like really the strong. Yeah, yeah, performances. I was never that hot on Silver Linings Playbook, and yeah. I know that it like it won a lot of stuff and was like pretty lauded. And then American Hustle, I didn't like at all. Yeah. Um, 
and I know they're like the three main films, and then you know I know he's done Joy, another Jennifer Lawrence film, and um, yeah, and American just, Hustle. I kind of remember it feeling like he was trying to be Tarantino or something. Yeah, and it I, was like mm. it just doesn't work that much for me. I mean, most yeah. of his stuff just doesn't work that much for me, and and I do like Margot Robbie, so I do want to check it out. And Christian Bale, like a new Christian Bale film, is always interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I'm just not that. Like, I keep seeing it like on my streaming side. It's like, eh, maybe next time. Yeah. You know. I mean, I think it'll be what you expect. Yeah. I know, and that's <laughs> what I'm worried about. I'm not. I don't think it'll be great. Yeah. Um, which is a shame. Yeah, I know. It. It. You know. I mean, we're such big movie lovers. It's like when you don't like something. I, it's like we don't. Like I feel bad, you know, saying that I didn't like something because I know like all I know, the, yeah. the time and effort and work that went into it and stuff. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm sure there's yeah. people out there that, that still it. like the movie. So. Yeah. Yeah. I'm um, sure. Audiences everywhere. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I Violent Night kind of surprised me. Um, okay. It it. it it is what you expect, um, but it 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 did it did make me laugh, and I and I did have a really good time watching it. I yeah. I I think that it could potentially become like a cult classic eventually. Mm. Mm-hmm. Um, but it uh, yeah, it was surprisingly enjoyable. I mean, it's it's very like. It's almost like a no-brainer, you know. Yeah. It's like, of course, this is this is uh, where we're at in American mm. Christmas movies, like, yeah. you know, Santa killing people violently, like, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it is still. <laughs> I don't know. I went in expecting to just like be rolling my eyes the whole time, and I gen- mm-hmm. genuinely was laughing and having a good time watching it. So, that's yeah. cinema, dude. Yeah, it is. What cinema. more can you want? Yeah, what more can you ask for? David Harbor is. Uh, yeah. Yeah, the new action man. <laughs> I do want to see. It. I, I do. You know, I think that it would be a perfect, like day after christmas movie yeah you know when you've the hangover from christmas yeah yeah um and just watch santa kick the crap out of people yeah yeah perfect Mm. (laughs) um but yeah that's it sweet and now i think it's time for our feature presentation liquid sky 1982 Strange aliens having bizarre orgasms. (laughs) I'm sold. (laughs) An alien creature invades New York's... (laughs) Okay, I can't even get through this now. An alien creature invades New York's punk subculture in its search for an opiate released by the brain during orgasm. So... (laughs) <laughs> um, <laughs> that kind of sums up the movie uh, we'll see y'all next week <laughs> <laughs> um, 
So yeah, I uh, uh, uh <laughs> where do I begin? It uh, I'm kind of halfway in between liking this movie but also not liking it. Um, and I I wanted to watch it again before we started recording, but I didn't get a chance to. Um, I watched it a few days ago, but I have been like thinking about this movie a lot, trying to figure out you know what I think and feel about it. Um, and I decided to use a lifeline today. So similar to the aliens in Liquid Sky, Zach has been hovering above us in his little spaceship waiting for us to crack out the heroin to join in. <laughs> so ladies and gentlemen, it's our good friend Zach. He's here with us. Hi. I, I'm getting some uh, some issues with the with the call in case I like in case my timing is a little weird with you with you guys. Um, okay. But yeah, I wasn't waiting for the hair. I think it's my Wi-Fi. I wasn't waiting for the heroin. I've never done heroin. I don't do this. <laughs> but the orgasms had me. That that piqued my interest. I do orgasms. <laughs> yeah, I'm okay with that. Um. So, <laughs> well, thanks for being here. Last minute. And uh, and jumping in with this, I feel Thanks like for asking me when I, when I started watching this movie, and when I finished the movie, I felt like you would you would have some interesting things to say. I also felt like maybe you would really like it. Um, for me, when I when I started the film, uh, like in the first like five to ten minutes, I was like all in. Like mm-hmm. the way that the film starts with like the weird music and and you just get the title right away and then you got the you got the synth music um and then you've got like this strange kind of cutting pattern where it's like cutting um between like some mundane well i mean the room that it's cutting to is is interesting like the set design is interesting but there's like nothing there's no people in it and then it's cutting to like this club and people dancing and like having a good time and then cutting to this mask and then back to the room and then back to the dancing. Um, I was like, okay, this is going to be really cool. This is going to be like this a weird art house, like strange thing, which, which I like, is. you know, I like stuff like that. And yeah, it is. <laughs> um, but then, you know, as the film goes on, the music gets a little bit repetitive for me. <laughs> For my taste. <laughs> uh, and then, um, you know, the plot isn't, I mean, it's interesting. You know, keep, the movie keeps you engaged, I think. It, at least it did for me. But it's not like, you know, emotionally engaging, I guess, necessarily. Yeah. yeah. Um, and it's about, you know, heroin addicts and, and this punk scene in New York City in 1982. Um, I You know, we're going to get into the look and, and the design of the film, which I think most from the reviews I've read, most people agree that that's its strong suit. Um, but, yeah, I think... Uh, 
I don't know. It's like, you know, I still like the characters. I still like um, Anne Carlisle and and Paula E. Shepard. I, I think they both did. Like, their performances were really great. And Anne Carlisle yeah. plays two different people in Paul this e. movie. Paula E. Shepard's uh, Adrian, right? Yes. Um, and I think she was only in one other movie, but she was in... She's in a horror movie. Mm. Um, she is in... Alice, sweet Alice. I don't know if y'all have ever heard of that. 1976. I feel like I've vaguely heard of that. Um, it, it pops up on uh, Letterboxd. I, 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 I'm often searching Letterboxd for like, I'll narrow down searches like mm. genre and decade. And it's one of the, one of those ones I always see like in 70s horror that I have not seen yet. Mm, okay. I always filter out filter out the ones I've seen so I can find something new to watch, and I no, I've noticed that one pop up, and I think I think I've seen it streaming available in the past, maybe on Shutter, or yeah. Tubi or something, but I've never I haven't watched it yet. Mm. Yeah. Um. So yeah, I think her performance is really great, and um, as well as Anne Carlisle, who plays two different people, and I, I didn't realize. I, at first that it was the same person I guess I mean mm-hmm. it's I think it's you know it, it's a little it should confu- be it's a little confusing at first yeah it is it, it yeah. took it took me a minute to kind of figure out like okay these are mm-hmm. two different characters but that's the same person yeah yeah that that um, took me a minute to kind of register which is another reason I wish I, that I had a chance to watch the film again before recording this because i feel like on the second watch i might understand really what i think of the film if that makes sense um because there are some there are some things that i did really like about it like the the fact that ann carlisle is playing a man and a woman and um they do a great job of playing of being convincing as both um and then also the the discussions around um just like uh challenging society and the 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 scene where she's like with her i guess it's like her teacher or something and she's the, she's like talking about our the the character's name is Owen and he's like talking about how he doesn't like her costumes and the like their phony theater and then she's like your blue jeans are theater you know mm-hmm. at least we know we're wearing costumes yeah um so i feel like you know like that that was like a really a point of the film that i really liked a point that the film made that i really liked and um i i feel like the film made a lot of good points but it also made them kind of in the wrong way. It, it, I guess there's like two different ways you could go with this film. It's like you could go the way of like uh, seeing this film as, as representation and as like um, yeah, I guess just as representation, you know, for uh, like queer representation and, and stuff like that. But also, um, 
I could see this film as like something my parents saw in the 80s and then we're like, okay, we can never let our kids leave the house. <laughs> yeah. Um, which I guess is, you know, is the same with any kind of art. It can be taken... Uh, I don't know if I would say the wrong way, but like it could be taken... Interpreted in many ways, I guess. So, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at. So, yeah. I, like, I want to get into to the more of the film and, and figure out what what you guys think and where your head's at. Yeah. This. <laughs> whenever, <laughs> whenever I watch a film like this, I feel like such a square. I always come out of it. And I'm like, Crusty the Clown, when he's watched Worker and Parasite, I'm just like, what the hell was that? And like, it takes me a minute to like, <laughs> to, to register what happened and, and, and what it was that I didn't like. And I, <clears throat> and I think this film definitely improved for me after I like, because I wanted to, as always, you know, I know Brandon and I've talked about it. I went into this completely blind when you suggested it. I'd never heard of it before. And I purposefully didn't look up anything about it. You know, I, I had seen that it was about um, punk subculture just from when um, you had suggested it. And I saw it, you know, on Letterboxd when I first looked it up. Um, yeah. But apart from that, no idea what I was going into. Um, and then after it finished, I, I read some reviews. And there was one, um, and I can't remember the user on Letterboxd who put it up. But they were talking about how this is a, it's a representation of what, other people saw the punk scene as at the time. And like, this was like their worst nightmare about the punk scene kind of projected on the screen. And as soon as I, like I said, like I read that, I was like, okay, it makes more sense as to why, you know, it is so, you know, there's, you know, if you kind of are attracted to these people, you'll get killed. You know, there's so much drugs and like violence and stuff like that. Like it's, it's obviously, a comment on that um but i mean yeah it the soundtrack really annoyed me <laughs> and it was hard to like get away from it you know it's just that monotonous like throbbing sound that oh just you know from the very start i think most of my notes that i made were just like honestly what is this soundtrack like what why are we still <laughs> listening to this song you know just change the record yeah um, but that's probably due to the budget, right? I mean, they probably had this synth music that they re like recorded themselves, and then were like, "Okay, we could just put this off, you know, over all of it." Yeah, there were three composers, and one of them is the director. Yeah, mm -hmm. and I think that really think they were just sitting at a uh, at a synth keyboard and coming up with stuff <laughs> off yeah. the, off the cuff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. Um, I've heard that that's how John Carpenter does his scores too. He does like mm. he just kind of watches the movie and plays the the keyboard and well he does you know while he's yeah. just watching it and then we're d and that's it and that's the score. Um, this was a little less melodic than anything John Carpenter's ever uh, written, but mm -hmm. well, I uh I loved the movie. I guess you probably saw that coming. Yeah. <laughs> I suspected. Yeah. I uh I love 80s punk stuff. 
especially yeah. movies, 80s punk on film is so fun to me. Yeah. Um, I guess like the closest thing that I could think of to this is Repo Man by Alex Cox, which mm-hmm. is 80s punk and also aliens. Um, yeah. Because I don't I don't know if there are too many 80s punk movies that also have aliens in them. Um, but it, it it fits in that milieu. Um, and I love like Russian stuff and Soviet stuff yeah. in particular. So I did not go into this movie completely blind. I did read about that. It was made by this Soviet, this Russian director who had fled the Soviet union and his wife. So I did know that going into it, that like there was this kind of weird Russian immigre element to it. And, um, that immediately attracted me uh, because I, the one thing I was thinking while watching this, I was like, I know there are people out there who probably watch this and go, what were they smoking when they made this? And they weren't <laughs> smoking anything. They were, well, they were probably just smoking cigarettes because they were just Russian. That This is like, <laughs> like that's like what this science type of science fiction made me think of like yeah. Russian Soviet sci-fi stuff. It felt like it fit in that same, uh, milieu but um i did like the movie overall uh the music i didn't like the music but it didn't bug me like it didn't get to me i think i just got used to it after a while yeah um the the thing that kept making me laugh was the constant cross-cutting um which is happening in the begin in the opening of the movie like you were describing Brandon, like it's cutting back and forth between these different things. But that is like the editing of the entire film, like mm-hmm. whole scenes. You have three scenes going on at once yeah, and it's just cutting back and forth between them in very awkward ways. That was probably the, the most um, jarring thing for me yeah. that would kind of like take me out of a, a moment. But um, as far as the music goes though, I did like Adrian's song that she sings at the beginning. <laughs> yeah. Um, Me and my music box. Yeah, I did like that. (laughs) I think it was written by the director too. Yes. So (laughs) I think uh, it's so funny that it like it like says it was written by him. It's like literally like you just made that up. Like (laughs) right (laughs) the the day that you were shooting. Oh, I'm sure. (laughs) I wrote that. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm kind of surprised that Paula Shepard didn't write it because I'd be more expecting them to to just say just sing whatever lyrics come to your mind. Yeah, yeah. Just say whatever. Yeah as as far as the cutting goes, um, again, I need to rewatch it, but I I did. Uh, on the first watch, like the cutting, it it like it added something for me, um, and I think it it kind of uh, gives this feeling that you as an audience are supposed to be the alien watching mm-hmm. it, you know, because mm-hmm. um, you're viewing. Yeah, you're like you're just peeking in and through all these different windows of these um, humans that to you are, you know, just weird creatures. Yeah. 
that you're trying to like figure out and understand. Um, and it also made me think like, well, I, I love the look of the film, like the style, you know, obviously it's shot on film, which I love, but just like the costume design, the lighting and the set design, the camera angles, um, the makeup, the hair, like it's all just super cool to me. Um, yeah. And, and added with the cutting, I was like, man, if I had like a, a nightclub or a bar, I would just throw this up on a screen with no audio and just put it on a loop. Cause like people might just think it's a music video or something. Yeah. You know, with no audio. Um, cause it, it, it just, it's just like this perfectly stylized backdrop to me. Yeah. Um, yeah, the, I, uh, there's a letterbox review somewhere out there. Of course I've, did not like bookmark any of this stuff, but um, somebody mentioned going to a screening where um, I guess a lot of the cast and crew, or at the very least, uh, Ann Carlisle and the director were there, and um, the costume designer Maria Levikova, who I think was also the production designer. And so somewhere in this, uh, there's a letterbox review where they talk about how she said. Her budget for the costumes was five hundred dollars. Mm, yeah, I remember seeing that. Yeah, yeah, and like, uh, I mean, the the I think that is uh, because also I love low budget filmmaking, um, and especially when uh, filmmakers are able to basically make a look a film look much more expensive than it actually is. Because mm-hmm. I don't I don't know where what five hundred thousand dollars in nineteen eighty two money is today, but it not that the movie looks expensive but it doesn't look as cheap as it was which yeah. is you know an impressive feat that i always enjoy finding out like oh my god yeah this movie was barely made for anything um and they made it look like it was made for something <laughs> yeah mm-hmm. because yeah the production design the costume design all very impressive um the look of the film is just great yeah, um, I was watching a, a Siskel and Ebert um, clip from that time, and <laughs> Ebert was like, as a fashion show, I give it a thumbs up, and as a movie, it's a thumbs down. <laughs> okay. Um, but, I mean, it it still is a movie. It's like, you know, yeah. it's, not, it's not a fashion show. It's a movie. Um, I... I there's a lot of I, I I do wish I was taking notes and um like you I only watched it once I watched it this morning and um I haven't had a chance to watch it again since you know I want I did I was tempted to just start watching it again but I had to go yeah. to work <laughs> but uh <laughs> but um there's like a lot of like you were you were kind of talking about like this this movie makes a lot attempts to say a lot of things and it's definitely that that's kind of where I am where I'm like I I got to write some of this stuff down because there's these just these great little moments throughout the film that are making some interesting points or they're just very funny uh, uh-huh. like uh, I mean there there's a part near the beginning I think where the guy is shooting up or he's attempting to shoot up and he's like you know Jean Cocteau would shoot up heroin. 
before he wrote and his wife's like you John Cocteau would still be Jean Cocteau even without the heroin like there's funny stuff like that throughout mm-hmm. the movie funny dialogue yeah. um some of it uh is uh, a little uh racy to say on a on a on the air I won't repeat necessarily yeah. all of that <laughs> but um yeah yeah but but see that's the that's why I think I'm on the fence with it is because it's got oh. some very you know obviously the the style and the look go a long way for it yeah um but then you've got you know some like some representation that you don't usually see in this era oh yeah on screen um and some interesting points but then like the people are like <laughs> you know doing horrible things it's like it's like okay, like how many times do we have to watch this woman get raped mm-hmm. and uh necrophilia yeah necrophilia but <laughs> the, but then then it be- basically becomes a rape revenge film when she realizes she can of, kill where that she can kill people with yeah. with her sex yeah um <laughs> yeah i mean what so i mentioned in the intro that the film kind of uh reminded me of pink flamingos in some ways oh yeah um, and very like john waters-esque i guess because it's just about like you know some horrible people doing horrible things and that's kind of but see i don't know if that's exactly the point like where it's like with like pink flamingos and uh multiple maniacs it's like you watch these people do horrible things um and you think it just can't get any crazier and it does and that's like the point is it's just like to shock you yeah and i don't know if this was like really there to shock you i don't know is it yeah i think the difference for me between the two especially between just waters in general and and this film that i was seeing is that waters treads that line so well of not taking any of it too seriously but Mm -hmm. still commenting on things that are happening you know like the american family and and that that time period that was changing and the media and all that kind of stuff but it's still you know you can tell like they're just you know messing around yeah and it's still like not too seriously whereas like that was one of the notes i wrote down it's it is like john waters but just taking itself far too seriously yeah you know the Uh, the the last scene especially i feel like you know i I think that it was trying to evoke something and i was just like i I, you know i don't care (laughs) yeah no i i didn't feel like the movie was taking itself too seriously i thought it was funny when it wanted to be funny but uh I I don't know. I just, to me, it wasn't taking itself that seriously. Mm. I I don't have a good uh, <laughs> example. No, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. no, I I uh, I I uh, I think that that is uh, it's very punk in that way, in that it's just irreverent, um, uh, kind of for the sake of it to to be anti-establishment. To uh, you know, even if it's making a point, it's it's doing it. Um, in an absurd way that isn't necessarily a socially acceptable way. Um, yeah, I I don't know. Yeah. 
Yeah, I I feel like I'm gonna feel differently on a second watch. Um, I I do think like the side characters, like the the scientist guy and the woman, mm-hmm. uh, didn't do much for the film. Mm-hmm. I think yeah. maybe maybe if those scenes had been a little more trimmed trimmed or thought out yeah. a little more you know like at, mm. you know try to add something um it would have been better well and uh but those are actually i think good scenes that illustrate that the film's not taking itself very seriously mm. because you've got this guy looking through his telescope at these aliens and only thinking about this while this woman is like doing all this heavy petting she's very she's throwing herself at him and he's just like but my research that to me is meant to be funny and <laughs> yeah. not taking itself seriously. Yeah. Whether or not those scenes could be cut or trimmed, uh, I don't know. Uh, they never detracted for me. Um, I was never bored during this movie. I'll say that. That's yeah. For sure. Hmm. Yeah. I don't think I was bored, but I, I think, I think the only, I was definitely uncomfortable. <laughs> okay. Yeah. Um, which I think it, you know, is is uh maybe part of the point. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, like I said earlier, just the repetitiveness of the music was maybe the yeah. only thing that like really annoyed me. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I just can't get over the the style of the film. I think it's just. Mm-hmm. It's almost like every shot is just there's something cool to look at. Um, and I did also like the fact like when they actually are going to the aliens point of view, it almost gives you like this predator uh, kind of cartoon oh, yeah. look done way before Predator. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So, do you guys think that this is like a feminist film? Do you think it's like uh like what you were saying, Lewis, that it's like a um kind of comment on what other people think the the punk scene is like? Yeah, I think I read an interview with the director um, on the interview website um, and he was talking about um, how when they were writing this, Anne Carlyle wrote a lot of her own personal experiences into this film. Mm-hmm. And, you know, she, you know, she wanted to kind of emulate the real perspective of, you know, a woman going through this kind of culture and, and surrounded by these kind of people. Um, and I, I do I do think that it is... Um, a feminist film. I think there's a lot in there that is about equality, not just for women, but for all, for everyone. And like yeah. every, you know, like free love and, and experimentation and, and not being attracted to a gender that you're told you've got to be attracted to, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a lot of really progressive things in there um, that, that that is interesting. I mean, those themes are, you know, done really well um yeah yeah i mean there's a line in the movie i think she says like i'm attracted to the person not the genitals 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which is kind which of, is, yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. It's great. Yeah, it is. And I think that, you know, that side of it is really interesting. Um, I just, yeah, I think that it just doesn't, I don't know, it gets bogged down with the other stuff, mm-hmm. you know, but I mean, then again, a film about without aliens and without drug use and all that kind of stuff would be a little, it wouldn't work. Yeah. You know, and I'm I'm being critical of it and it, there needs to be something else in there for these for these um, plot points and monologues and character beats to actually work. It can't just be a character being like, hey, I'm attracted to everyone because you'd be like, okay. And, you know. Well, um, Anne Carlyle and the director Slava Sukerman and I think his wife is Nina Karova. um, They they all three wrote the script Mm -hmm. um, but then Anne Carlyle five years later wrote a novel based on the film which I think goes deeper into like the characters and the backstory so it probably adds a lot of like context yeah and things that you're not not getting from from the movie which feels more experimental and kind of more abstract in its messaging i guess and thought but at the same time it does have like these great lines so yeah and i think in that same um interview that i was talking about with the director he said that ankar pretty much moved in with them while they wrote this film mm. and yeah. they were sitting around the dinner table you know eating dinner talking about the female orgasm mm. and he's like yeah. all these things just bled into the script you know yeah. all yeah. these kind of yeah. conversations that were happening around the time um for women's rights and kind of just you know I don't know, opening the door to the other side of the sexual experience um, was just like kind of infiltrating this movie and, you know, seeping into it, which I think is clear to see now. Um, Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, and there's also that line towards the end where she's like, she thinks she's killing people, you know. Yeah. (laughs) With her C word. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and, and then the science, I think it, it's the scientist that comes in, right? And he's yeah. like, no, it's the orgasm. Right. You're uh, not, you're, you're living because you aren't having orgasm. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which I think is maybe, uh, see that it's like, it's like scenes and lines like that where I'm like, okay, this, this needs to be viewed with an audience, you know? And, and I think it probably, was comical to a lot of people mm-hmm. when it came out and probably why it did so well. I mean, this film was the highest growing independent film of 1983. Right. Grossing $1.7 million in the box office. Um, Off of $500,000. Yeah. I mean, it made a lot of buzz. Um, which is surprising to see that, like, the the filmmaker didn't really do much else yeah after there, this. there's there's a lot of that though there's a lot of uh like schlock low budget indie genre films from the 70s 80s and 90s and you look at the filmmaker and it's basically that's the one thing that they did mm-hmm. yeah i mean obviously he's done a couple of other things but like pr- that like they never continued making more of that that yeah. it's like they'll have this one movie on their on their resume and then 
some commercials or some or TV yeah. movies, something like that, or or nothing. You know that that's a seems to be like a fairly common thing is they manage to get one thing made and it's successful with its niche. Yeah, yeah. And then they don't get anything else. I mean, it makes sense. I guess like I mean, it's tough to get oh, movies yeah. made. Like <clears throat> it's uh, like and, lightning in a bottle. Every yeah, time. And, and I think too the directors i've i've not read or or watched anything uh with zuckerman i'm gonna call him zuckerman because his name sounds <laughs> yeah sounds like the jewish name zuckerman and he's jewish so maybe maybe that's the the original russian but like i've never read any interviews with him i've never seen him and i do think that being like uh directors who are themselves kind of like characters tend to have better chances of getting more stuff made. Um, I noticed that this film was put out on Blu-ray by Vinegar Syndrome and probably going to buy it now that I, now that I've seen mm. it, but nice. I have several, I have several of movies from Vinegar Syndrome that are kind of in this same wheelhouse where it's, here's this schlocky low budget horror or sci-fi or whatever film. And it was like the only thing that the director really did and then you, you, you see these filmmakers and they're just these like regular looking guys. Like there's nothing about them that's sort of like, they're not weirdos. They're not, they don't come off as freaks. It's sort of like they kind of found, they wanted to make a movie and they figured out what to make a movie about that would get some money. And they succeeded at that like once. And so it's possible that he's just not enough of like a personality to keep this kind of thing going. I don't know. That's maybe mm -hmm. being too psychoanalytic, but, but yeah, I mean like the other note, every, every picture of like anyone associated with this movie is them like at a Q and a for a screening of this movie. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, I think where the, 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 the unfortunate part of it, I think where it falls down for me is to do with the budget. I think that like these themes and the script would work really well. And I was thinking the whole way through it. I mean, David Bowie has like a lot of influence, obviously in this film, if he was playing oh, yeah, the yeah. dual role that Anne Carlisle yeah. plays, this would be a modern classic. You know, we would, everyone would be aware of this movie. Um, yeah. Not just because of him, you know, playing the dual roles or anything, but I think that it, it may have been a bit more polished and a little bit more nuanced. I mean, this is just speculation, obviously, but I do, you know, I do think that that's potentially where the, where it falls down, you know, for me, especially is that it's just not what I expected it to be, I guess. I don't know. It's hard to, <laughs> you know, it's not. Yeah. I, I think that movies like this, there's a lot of, there's a lot of films that kind of fit this bill, I think. Uh, horror or sci-fi movies from the 70s, 80s, 90s. These genre movies that people made on the cheap. Um, that often, one of the successful things about them to me is that they have a lot to say, but they aren't necessarily channeling that in a very... Um, uh, you couldn't whittle it down to a sound bite. Yeah. Like, this, this movie says a lot of things. And it's not just saying... There's not there's not a core message of this movie that is don't do drugs, you know, that yeah. or or 
you know, women are equal to men. That is not like the core uh, message of this film. It is using characters to kind of throw out a lot of different sentiments that a person might feel like, well, this is true. This is true. It doesn't matter what gender a person is. And you show that th- showing that through a woman who's playing a woman and also playing the man that she's saying it to. I mean, bringing up John Waters is interesting because like later on in this movie is they are, uh, uh Anne Carlyle's character of, uh, what are the kids? Margaret and Jimmy. Yeah. Are their uh-huh. names, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Margaret is, uh, performing a sexual act on Jimmy. And I was thinking of John Waters cause in female trouble divine ha- plays a man and a woman yeah, who has sex with who's she, and and yeah, I think in that yeah, film yeah, she right. she yeah. says go at fuck Christmas. yourself, <laughs> right at Christmas. So I mean, um, like I think even just having that element of uh, a woman playing a man and having a sexual encounter with themselves to the point where it's like I also couldn't tell the characters apart at first. It was you know took a minute to realize that they were these two different characters and that they were. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't know. It's like saying that that bit is saying one thing, but it's not like you can't necessarily add all those up to like a nice succinct message that the movie is yeah. portraying. And that either works for you or it doesn't. You know, yeah. it, you either think, well, if if they had kind of put all this stuff together into something compact that came together at the end, it would have worked for you. Uh, yeah. Or you just like, well, I, I mean, to, like to me, it doesn't bother me that that necessarily doesn't come come to anything yeah um, I, I did think I, I wasn't quite clear of like exactly what happens at the end but like I think it's interesting that this character who sort of is transcending gender throughout yeah. the movie then transcends like her own humanity at the end right like is that kind of like she becomes does she die or do they, does she get absorbed well, into the alien ship well, there's there's speculation. It's kind of open to interpretation. Yeah. Okay, so yeah. you know, so yeah, I'm right. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, because I'm not. Sorry, go ahead. No, I was just going to say. I mean, I just read it that she was taken. I mean, that's how yeah. I was. You know, that they they could use her for you know getting off in the future, right? right. You know, <laughs> um, but yeah, I think what you were saying, Zach, about how all these messages kind of come together. But it's not, um, it's not like a, a clear through message, you know. It doesn't mm. kind of stick the landing, and I think that's that's where I thought that's my biggest issue with it. I think there was more yeah. that annoyed me in this than there was that uh-huh. like piqued my interest, you know, because there was definitely themes in there that were really interesting, and I like and I enjoyed um, the representation of that. But then the soundtrack would come in, or the woman would order <laughs> six meals of shrimp, and I was just like. <laughs> Let, can we just like let's get back to the the other bits, you know? <laughs> yeah. Well, see, and yeah. I, I guess that it those scenes do start to make more sense to me now that Zach pointed out that like that's where the film isn't taking itself too seriously. Because yeah. yeah, the the whole shrimp bit was like, the, somebody thinks this is hilarious. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Maybe that's what they were eating at dinner when they yeah. were this film. Or maybe were, it's just maybe like eating a lot of shrimp. It, it, maybe it's just like this comment on like, you know, women really love shrimp. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
as much as sex. And shrimp. And what? I mean, phallic. So yeah, you know. Sometimes a, a cigar not impressively is just a cigar. Yeah. <laughs> Although shrimp, I don't know. That's a bad yeah. When you order that much phallic. shrimp in a film about orgasms, it's got to mean something. <laughs> shrimp, <laughs> shrimp, shrimp is a sort of a weak, uh, yeah, impot- impotent phallic, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, allegory, but. <laughs> at least go to the delicatessen or something yeah i don't i mean i don't know if it's a feminist film but i if if i were putting together and i would not be qualified to do this but if i were putting together a a syllabus of like gender on film i would probably include this movie mm-hmm. yeah i think so yeah yeah well the the safty brothers had it on a list of uh mm-hmm. Must watch New York films. And New York looks incredible in this movie. Yeah, it yeah. does. Um, yeah. Which was all like happy circumstance. It was just like the the balcony had that view. Um, yeah. That people thought was like projected and stuff, but it's obvious <laughs> that it, it wasn't. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's a, yeah, the, the views of New York are filmed really well. And another thing that I didn't really notice, but when I read that interview, it kind of, poked out is that it's all filmed at dusk they like the witching hour the whole film is like all the scenes <sighs> are kind of at that time and the director said they had like three to seven minutes a day that they could like Dang. film because you know it was like in russia it lasts for like an hour but in yeah. new york it lasts <laughs> for like seven minutes um so it just you know they just did it seven minutes at a time for all the outside scenes which is dedication to a, you know, again, to a theme, yeah. um, you know, and it always is just that it's like that moment before darkness, you know, the yeah. whole way through, um, which is probably a comment as well, but I don't know if I'm qualified to make that connection. <laughs> <laughs> well, you'll be excited to hear that there's a sequel in the works. I'm not yeah, excited. I don't, I don't, I don't think that's actually going to happen. Personally. Yeah, yeah. It seems like from the stuff I've like, I looked it up, and it's like every every couple of years for the last like ten years, it looks like there's like news yeah. about it, and it's like, all right, yeah, we'll see. Yeah, but... see, I I think uh, Alex Cox made a sequel to Repo Man that was like filmed. I could I could be pulling this out of my ass. I'm pretty sure this <laughs> that. It's like completely filmed in front of green screens and it just like is awful. Yeah. 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 And that is kind of what I expect if uh, these people actually manage to get together and make the second Liquid Sky. Yeah. I mean, the only way you could do it. Yeah. The only way you could do it justice is if you do it the same way you did. Right. Well, same camera, same lighting, same filming at dusk. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's easy. I'm going to say I think it was. Easier in 1983, 82, to make a cheap movie look good than mm. it is now. Yeah. Because yeah. now everything is just going to look like a digital camera and it's going to look too clean. And I don't know. You, The fact that you can, you don't need locations. You can use yeah. green screens. So. And I just, I know that we were talking at the beginning of the show, Brandon, about del toro's pinocchio and how the the time period it's set in works really well for the story like if it was set in like today's world 
I don't know if like any of it would any of the the whole point would be lost. You know, it's not. Yeah. I, I feel like it's of such a time. Like you were saying, yeah. like the eighties punk films really called to you. Like yeah. if this was transplanted to de- to today, would you still be like, oh yeah, this is cool? You know, I think that it's it's such a pe- like a relic of the period, and a yeah. relic of its time that any sequel would just not feel comparable. You, I don't know yeah. how you could carry this on. You know, I don't think. It's <laughs> yeah, a, I, I don't. I, yeah, I don't know what you could do to, and, yeah. without it feeling inauthentic. Yeah. Just leave it alone. But, it, it's it's perfect, right, Lewis? <laughs> yeah. But like I like I said, you, you know, these filmmakers don't really have any other films, right? Yeah, exactly. Hit, yeah. Their one cult hit, Liquid Sky. So yeah. what do you do? We're gonna make another one. Yeah, you keep talking about it. Yeah, you keep, keep staying relevant. Yeah. Yeah. It's true. But I don't want to. I don't want to. You know, uh, diss them. I I think. Uh, I, I think I have a fondness for Slava and Nina. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, I noticed too in the in the credits. I was looking at the cre- uh, when as the credits were going. What was the name I recognized? I was like, uh, hang on, I got a, I got a different tab here somewhere. Ben Barinholtz. I saw that name in the in the credits as a uh, an extra. Mm. It wasn't credited to a character. I was like, I know that name, and and sure enough, he he was a he's no longer alive, but he he was this like Ukrainian guy who owned and operated a a major uh, movie theater in uh, or a, a movie theater in New York City that was a major hub for midnight movies. And um, oh. so I, I actually I have no idea where he is in this movie. I'd have to watch it a second yeah. second time to like kind of be on the lookout for uh, for him, and I don't know what he looked like then. Uh, the only picture I see of him is just an old, bald uh, Ukrainian <laughs> guy, but like <laughs> but like uh, John Waters and David Lynch and Jim Jarmusch, like their early those guys got their, their he showed their films. And got people to got and people came and saw him. That's kind of ah, what okay. helped start those yeah. people's careers. So I I do think that there's there's some interesting kind of like New York City underground filmmaking kind of element going on in this film that's very interesting to me, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Like a moment of history that's kind of captured a little bit. Yeah. I mean you know, I don't know if this. I'm assuming then this film probably showed at his theater. Uh, it was uh, <clears throat> somewhere here on the Elgin Cinema is what it was called. I think we've. I think we talked about that, Brandon, on our Pink Flamingos episode. Probably that's ah. Now it's the or yeah now it's the Joyce Theater, but it was the Elgin. Yeah, that does ring a bell. I've heard the Elgin for sure. Yeah, and so he, uh, a lot of these filmmakers from that era, he showed their movies before anyone else, and that, um, and you know he's from Ukraine, so maybe there was some Soviet uh, connection there between him and Slava. I feel like we just keep coming back to work yeah. in Parasite. Yeah, <laughs> probably. 
But it could just be one of those situations. He was in the right time at the right place, and they were just like, "We need extras," and you know, yeah, and, like all the I'm people in the it, club. Yeah. Apparently, all the people in the club were just like people that go to that club. I've never seen right. a club so well lit. Mm-hmm. It looked like a coat room. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just taking low blows now. <laughs> It's okay. They'll get my money. I'm gonna buy the. I'm gonna buy the. <laughs> there you go, Slava. Let's wait. Let's see what kind of. Let's see what kind of treatment did this film get on Blu-ray? I think it got a 4K restoration. Yeah. 4K? yeah. Was it the original camera negative though? <laughs> <laughs> or was it an interpositive? <laughs> I don't really understand any of that shit, but uh, you know, I read the back of Blu-ray of Blu-ray boxes. It just feels like you have like a photographic memory, Zach. You just remember everything. Uh, I don't know if any of it's useful that I'm remembering. I mean, it's useful for this podcast. <laughs> yeah, I, sure. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I, that's why I knew I was like I think yeah I think Lewis and I need help <laughs> uh, yeah uh, yeah uh, newly newly scanned and rest- I mean this is from like 2017 I think when this release came out newly scanned and restored in 4k from the 35 millimeter original negative there you go serious stuff and pretty good. Uh, you got a commentary with Zuckerman, booklet with an essay, interview with Zuckerman, an interview with Ann Carlisle, a, a feature-length documentary, Liquid Sky Revisited. So. If Finnegas Syndrome would like to sponsor this podcast, we are very open to it. <laughs> there is no guarantee that Lois will like any of the films that they send, but we are welcome to try them out. <laughs> We will rate them. I honestly. will. I will probably love everything. Yeah. we can just pass them on to Zach. Yeah, it's just going to become a permanent me podcast. <laughs> you guys will be like, I don't really want to cover this film, and it'll just be yeah. a every slow. listener will be like, Zach's on. Lewis and Brandon didn't like it. I guess. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, we might yeah. be at that moment where we guess what each other rated the film uh i'm gonna say that zach rated it five out of five <laughs> even though I, he doesn't really rate i don't things. i don't put rating a big heart <laughs> is what uh, you I, rated I, it, it de- i definitely gave it a heart yeah <laughs> um lewis i think you gave this movie a one and a half okay oh, brandon okay. i think I was, uh, wait i was gonna say i thought lewis i was gonna say lewis gave it a two okay i'm gonna think okay. that like he liked enough things from it for that full two mm. well see that was kind of where my head was at but then after this conversation i was okay. like i think he really didn't like it yeah not I enough to be like half a star but i haven't listened to the last couple episodes of your guys show so yeah. i may have lost my sense like, mojo for yeah. <laughs> now did you did you, you listen to the american movie episode not yet I actually, I actually did pull it up and 
scrub to the end to find out what your next movie was, which is uh, what okay. I usually do before. Like if I'm like, I, I don't have time to listen to it, but I want to know what next. Movie is. <laughs> I will do that before. And then I'll reset it to the beginning and yeah. listen to it. <laughs> nice. Now, you know, I have a very straight rating system. Like I wrote down yeah. recently what each rating meant to me. Um, oh, I haven't so. seen that. Yeah, it's not been shared publicly. <laughs> it's it's very basic, but it does help me kind of narrow it down when I'm in the middle. Um, Brandon, I think you gave it. I know you said that like you kind of liked it, didn't like it. I think, I think you're erring on the side of liking it more. So I'm going to say you rated it a three. Okay. I think you gave it a three and a half. <laughs> I'm just going up by half. Right yeah. <laughs> and the winner is Lewis. Woo! Yeah. Um. And you won as well. Yeah. One and a half for me. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Lost my touch. <laughs> Literally, you went, you went. You went half a star above for yeah. both of us. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, like one of like a line in the one and a half rating that I've got is one or two things really worked. And that's kind of what <laughs> like made me, jo- I was like, okay, a few mm-hmm. things worked for me, but on the whole, I did not like it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Three yeah. stars is pretty good though, Brandon. I mean, yeah. I mean, for me, I did like it. I am going to rewatch this. Yeah. Um, possibly a few more times. And take and possibly like inspiration from it for like looks and feels of of yeah. future projects and stuff. And I know that I need to like I need to watch more of these films. I need to push my boundaries to kind of I don't know to get the other side of cinema, you know, and like find more stuff like this. I just it's just I don't know. I feel like I'm such a traditionalist that yeah. it, it like I said I do feel like it's just a square watching films like this. <laughs> um whereas my music taste is very like all over the place you know it's it's not necessarily the same i don't know my film taste is a bit more rigid i guess yeah it's weird well that's what you got film church for man yeah that's it i would never even have probably heard of this film if it wasn't yeah. film church so well um what are we doing next week yeah, next week is going to be, um, next Sunday is going to fall on Christmas Day. So to save everyone having to have homework over the Christmas holidays, um, Brendan and I are just going to sit down and talk about some of our favorite Christmas movies. Um, it's going to be a little bit shorter than normal, um, a little bit more laid back, not as rigid. But yeah, just an opportunity for us to talk about some of our favorite festive movies. So that'll be Sweet. next week. Yay! Cool. cool. <clears throat> I won't be on, but my favorite Christmas movie is Gremlins. Nice. Nice. Yeah, that's a good one. Yeah, and then Leonard Moulton gets attacked in the second one because he didn't like it. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> the second one is great too. Yeah. <laughs> Might actually be better than the first, but it's not a Christmas movie. Yeah. So it's not my. <laughs> It's not my favorite Christmas movie. And then there's the the weird ripoff um, Small Soldiers, which I was very partial to when I was a child. Oh, I love Small Soldiers. Well, it's the same director. Oh, yeah. Or Dante. Okay, uh, I, I did love, not know I, that. I, yeah, I love Small Soldiers when I was a kid. Yeah. I haven't seen it since I was a kid, so. 
This is it's going to be rewatched this uh, this festive period. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, and a young Kirsten Dunst. That's right. Yeah, and the late great Phil Hartman. Oh yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I'm going back to this probably tonight. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for being here, Zach. We really appreciate thank, thank it. Thank you for thank you for asking me to to come on. Yeah, yeah man. Um, and thank you. Elizabeth for suggesting this film. Please keep suggesting things, Elizabeth. I'm sorry I didn't like it. <laughs> what were, wasn't there wasn't there she suggested uh she, few films? Yeah, video drone. Okay. Uh, video drone and what happened to Baby Jane and this film. But Lewis had already seen the other two. So yeah. I haven't seen Video Drone or What Happened to Baby Jane. So I'll have to watch those and then maybe I'll talk yeah. about them in our trailers in a future episode. And Videodrome would have been very topical because I'm listening to so much Blondie at the moment. So mm. I would have very nice. much enjoyed watching Debbie Harry. But, yeah, you know, I can watch it on my own time. Next time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, that brings us to the end of the show. You can find uh, the show on Twitter, Instagram, and other social media channels at Film Church Radio. we got some extra content on tiktok and instagram some cool little clips and videos from the episodes and movies uh you can find lewis and i individually on letterboxd which is a social media movie app where we rate things and review things and you can see what we're watching daily i am at selman scope and lewis is walker lewis 3007 um and of course we're streaming on all good podcast platforms please leave us a rating and review tell your friends to come join the church and let us know what we should watch and we might watch it and talk about it on the film like we did today. The only thing I've got left to say is I'm sorry, but duty is more important than shrimps. Well, the duty is yours. The house is mine. And in my house, shrimps are more important than duty. (laughs) Duty. (laughs) (laughs) Can I just say I know, I know. That was the outro. And I, <clears throat> if you pull up the reviews on letter on, on Letterbox, and you rate by l- lowest rating <laughs> first, the very first one just says, "What the fuck?" <laughs> <laughs> For Liquid Sky. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's cool. I didn't know you could do that. I'm gonna have to do that. Yeah. Everything now. Yeah. Sort sort by lowest rating first. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, that when you scroll past mine, you'll get. <laughs> the second think... one is aggressively unwatchable. <laughs> aggressively unwatchable. Uh, oh dear! Amazing. Nice. Well, <laughs> go aggressively say your film church prayers. Amen. 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 <laughs> Bye. Bye. Bye.